Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment Wrap-Up for Friday, December 2nd, 2022. Well, you've probably already heard about this, but in case you haven't, you might have been off the last couple of days. From the Hacker News, popular password management service, LastPass says it's investigating a second security incident that involved attackers accessing some of its customer information. Apparently, they detected some unusual activity within a third-party cloud storage device. Now, Remember, in August 2022, there was a security event which targeted its development environment, leading to the theft of some of its source code and technical information. And September, LastPass revealed that they had had the threat actor had had access for four days. Now, the scope, just as in last time, the, the scope of the breach isn't known yet. And it's not clear, according to the article here, if both LastPass and GoTo customers are impacted. So, GoTo which is formerly logged me in, um, acquired LastPass. My goodness, it's October 2015. I remember when it happened. I wouldn't have guessed that it was almost, it was more than seven years ago. In any case, LastPass is emphasizing that users' passwords weren't compromised. And I believe that that's a function of the tech, uh, the architecture, how LastPass works. It's not possible at all. They don't store the passwords at all. Um which is a good thing. That's one of the reasons why LastPass is a decent password manager. However, they have apparently had a couple of issues recently. They are engaged with the service of Mandiant and have alerted law enforcement. This will be a continuing development story, developing story, I am sure. You know how sometimes one of the methods that systems will use in order to block communication to nefarious domains is to look at the age of the domain name with the thought that if the domain name was registered fairly recently, then it could very likely be a nefarious target, nefarious domain. Well, that's not necessarily the case anymore. According to BelievingComputer.com, crafty threat actor uses age domains to evade security platforms. The group here is called Cash Rewindo. And they've been using age domains in global malvertising campaigns that led to investment scam sites. So Basically, what they're talking about age domains are domains that have been created but not used for quite some time. I believe that the article talks about some of them. Yeah, here it is. Uh, at least 487 domains, some having been registered as far back as 2020, or rather 2008 and being used for the first time this year. So just because a domain has been established for a while doesn't mean that it isn't nefarious. TechRadar reports a new ransomware, Trigona, a little-known piece of malware that is making waves in Europe. Apparently, in the last few months, the threat actor Trigona has managed to compromise and encrypt files for a number of targets, including a real estate company and an entire German village. And that's kind of interesting. I wonder how you could actually infect and encrypt an entire German village. In any case, there's not many details on this. The researchers apparently don't even know how Trigona compromises the endpoints in its target network and whether or not they use a zero-day or some other known malware for the breach. They do offer their victims the ability to decrypt five megabytes of files for free just to demonstrate that they actually can decrypt the files. So keep an eye out for Trigona and more information on exactly how they're doing what they're doing. From the privacy department, H 
charged with 30 million unemployment benefits fraud. They were conspiring to defraud the Georgia Department of Labor out of tens of millions of dollars in unemployment benefits. And so how this worked is the employee of an Atlanta area healthcare network paid others that are also apparently employed within a healthcare network to obtain hundreds of patients PII from hospital databases. And this gets back to, let's talk about privacy, where just because you have access to something doesn't mean that you can you can access it. You have to access it and use it for legitimate purposes. But apparently they thought that they could leverage that and make some money. They were caught. Part of how they were caught is that they asked for funds to be paid in you guessed it, prepaid debit cards mailed directly to an address in the Cordell and Vienna areas, apparently, of Georgia. Kind of a basic fraud. I don't understand how people can't realize that if you do this, you're most likely going to get caught no matter what you try to do. From Krebs on Security, ConnectWise quietly patches flaw that helps fishers. ConnectWise, which offers a self-hosted remote desktop software solution that is actively used by managed security providers, warns about an unusually sophisticated phishing attack that can let the attackers take remote control over user systems when recipients click the included link. Now, this is just a few weeks after ConnectWise patched a vulnerability that made it easier for fishers to launch these attacks. Now, apparently, as I gather from this article, is that basically... ConnectWise Control, which is popular among MSPs, they use this to manage their clients. And somehow or another, this intrusion is leveraging that relationship in order to get into the network. When a support technician, according to the article, wants to use it to remotely admin, administer a computer, the ConnectWise website generates an executable file that is digitally signed by the ConnectWise um, organization and is downloadable by the client via a hyperlink. So it's it, uh, what I gather here is that since you have that inherent trust, because this is being used to help manage the network, that trust is being leveraged in order to get into the network at that point in time. So particularly if you are an MSP that uses ConnectWise, or if you are contracted with an MSP that uses ConnectWise, you might want to look into this a little bit further. Heads up for the banks and credit unions out there from SC Media. Attackers target vulnerable financial customers rather than the institutions themselves. Cyber criminals, according to the article, are changing how they target financial institutions this holiday season. Some 80% of them are going after vulnerable customers rather than the institutions themselves. Now, this is from an, uh, a report from Akamai and found that a massive 257% increase in the number of web apps and API attacks against the FI sector the past year. Now, other findings from the report include, number one, customer account takeover attempts represented more than 40% of attack types, with another 40% focusing on website scraping used to create more convincing, convincing phishing scams. Within a 24-hour span, exploitation of newly discovered zero days against FIs reached multiple thousands of attacks per hour and peaks quickly, affording little time to react and patch. And of course, also... It looks like that phishing campaigns against FIs, financial institutions, are introducing techniques that bypass two-factor authentication. So if you're an FI, you might want to check into this a little bit further as well. And now for my favorite Friday episode 
segment, if you will, at least for the end of the year. This is, of course, talking about predictions. This comes from Spiceworks, and instead of 10, they actually have 12 cybersecurity trends every CISO must prepare for in 2023. What I do with the predictions, if you're a listener of this program regularly, I take the predictions without having looked at them before. I read them while on the air or being recorded, and I have my reaction to each one. So, number one, account for the impact of ransomware attacks. Okay, that would be something important as far as a risk assessment goes, and then I would imagine. Number two, rebuild endpoints using a sophisticated EDR. So I guess that already presupposes that you have to rebuild because you have been dinged. And what exactly makes a sophisticated EDR over a regular EDR? I'm not really sure. Endpoint detection and response. Number three, emphasize on implementing cybersecurity best practices. Well, that's a best practice to implement cybersecurity best practices. That's a, um, don't go for compliance, go for security, maybe is a better way of saying that. We've been saying that in the industry for a couple of years. Number four, invest in employee trainings to ward off cyber attacks. I totally agree with this. I think that it's important to do muscle memory and to continuously test against that muscle memory, whether it be phishing exercises or some other relevant method. And the key point here is relevant method to help with that muscle memory. If you're just doing training for checking the box, then it's not relevant beyond the check the box compliance and does really not too much for your cybersecurity of the infrastructure. Number five, zero trust architectures importance will grow. I, yeah. So something like zero trust, sometimes I see that more as a marketing fluff word than an actionable word. And I know everybody has different opinions on that. The quote here from one of the folks that was interviewed, this is Danny Allen from the chief technology officer of Veeam says, I also think zero trust architecture's importance will grow as a means to validate access to improve in security and expect to see a massive increase in cybersecurity budgets beyond levels thought possible mere decades ago. Um, I don't really know what that means. Can someone explain to me exactly what the definition of zero trust architecture is, or is it really more so a buzzword? Trust no one. I understand that portion of it, but yeah. I don't know. It just seems to be a little different. Anyway, number six, incorporate policy as code into cybersecurity practices. Policy as code. I have no idea what that means. Let's see what the article says here. Uh, Kubernetes, native data protection tools, uh, Dev app, DevSecOps world. So I guess they're saying policy as code will produce an additional layer of protection and ensure security practices are implemented across a diverse environment. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that policy as code here means to incorporate security when you're actually coding, from what I can gather. Number seven, work closely with federal agencies to set security standards. That's good. And I think working well with federal agencies is certainly um, not only to set standards, but also as far as intel sharing and response and, and so forth. We've been promoting that for years within the arena, um, big proponent of InfraGuard. And there's also always a lot of work going on in the NIST world, things changing, um, CMMC, of course, changing. 
Number eight, be transparent about cybersecurity practices with customers. So no obscurity, security by obscurity, I guess. Uh, you know, there's a limit on how transparent you can be. You certainly don't want to give away all that you're doing. I kind of cringe when sometimes I see on LinkedIn, people talk about with some measure of professional pride, all of the specific systems that they work on in their current position. And it's like, you know, you're giving away some very important information that someone can use in a nefarious manner. Yes, I like using the word nefarious uh, against your organization. So you can be transparent about it, but to an extent, don't try to hide anything either. It's anytime that you're trying to obfuscate a truth, there's a very fine line there between um, lying, because if it's obvious that, well, the truth should be out in the conversation that you're having with your client, then, then all the verbal gymnastics to go around about why you didn't say that eventually when it eventually does come out, because it usually does, that just does nothing to bolster your case. So yes, be transparent with your cybersecurity practices, particularly if you suffered an incident. Number nine, generative AI adoption will grow in popularity for security tools. Generative AI adoption. Generative. Generative. No clue. Generate AI? I guess I need to look that up. Maybe I'm a little bit behind some of the terms here. I don't know. Number 10, prioritize cyber resilience and risk reduction in 2023. Um, yeah, that's what we do in 2022, in 2021, in 2020, and so forth. I think that's sort of a gimme. Number 11, new regulations will introduce mandatory security practices in IoT. I agree with this. IoT is sort of uh, the wild, wild west. We had a, one article on some time ago that that was the description from there. Need to look into that a little bit more. In fact, there was just a, um, an article that I talked about a few weeks ago about a web server within some of the IoT devices from, I think it was from Microsoft. It was called like BOP or something like that. I cannot recall, but last updated in 2005, but apparently still is around in some IoT devices. So, and and also um, in addition to this is also talking about the, there was another article we talked about recently about cameras being banned um, or specific Chinese companies being banned which would include cameras, which would be IoT uh, because of potential um, security risks there. And then finally, number 12, absence of a cybersecurity culture will pose a serious threat. I agree with that too. I, I talk a lot about the importance of having a cybersecurity culture, a strong one within organizations. And sometimes it's a little bit difficult to define that. I, I try to start from the basics. It's just that cybersecurity needs to be top of mind. And I think I'll have a few comments about cybersecurity culture in 30 seconds. So cybersecurity culture. I didn't really know what I was going to talk about in the end segment until I got to the end of the 12 there, the 12 items of predictions from Spiceworks, where the last one was talking about cybersecurity culture. Cybersecurity does need to be top of mind. And while I think this trend is waning, 
it still exists in a significant fashion that cybersecurity is IT's responsibility only and not on the entire organization. I like to equate that to something like physical security. If you see something which is an obvious physical hazard, you need to report that up your chain, whether it be a leak or a hole developed somewhere, or just think about it. And particularly like if you're in a high risk environment, like a manufacturing environment, I worked once in a brass making facility. And just think of this facility has all these different types of equipment that can take raw material and create it into these big brass, um, huge, huge blocks. And then some of them are rolled out into brass sheets, some of them stamped into various forms, like, for example, um, different bullet casings or other items, rivets and so forth. And you can imagine that with all this physical activity going around, there are huge, huge, huge areas where you could definitely have an issue where someone could get hurt. And so you can almost visualize this in these sorts of environments you see all over the place. Safety is our top priority. We've gone X number of days without an incident. Wear your safety goggles. Um, have eye stations over in, in areas where there's the potential for you to accidentally get something in your eye if you weren't wearing your safety goggles, which you are also prompted to with signs all over the place, fire extinguishers, and so on and so on and so on. The bottom line is that physical safety is embedded in the culture there in these types of manufacturing environments. And so I submit to you that that's what I'm talking about with regards to cybersecurity culture being embedded in the environments. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that around every corner that you have to have a poster saying, think before you click, or don't click on that link, or watch out for phishing, or this or that. It, that gets to be a little bit of noise. But there does need to be that constant awareness around that, because in most organizations, cybersecurity is the largest threat, if you will, if you're comparing it like between physical security and cybersecurity, um, most work environments are, they don't really have much physical security issues, quite honestly, particularly with like work from home, most you would think. So, but it's cybersecurity that we need to embed that culture in. So I leave you with that. Think about the difference between and the similarities between the physical security culture that's been embedded for years and decades and decades in manufacturing environments and what we possibly could get to in cybersecurity culture today. And finally, I want to do something a little bit different today and leave you with a thought. Many of you know my story that basically forming and running VCSO services is a faith walk for me, it's definitely a God calling. And I've often talked about faith, not fear, or faith over fear. So I want to share something from Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. And that's it for this week. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Look forward to chatting with you again on Monday. And until then, stay secure.